Thank you for watching this online message from Riverstone Church. We hope that this content encourages you and helps you further develop your relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information, visit riverstonechurch.net. There you can learn more about us, view additional messages, submit your prayer needs, and even give online. Thank you for watching, and may the Lord richly bless you. This week, uh, as I was uh, studying for our class on Wednesday evening in Jonah, which you're welcome to be a part of here at the church uh, at 7 p.m., 7 to 8 p.m. I try to hold it close to an hour. Um, you can still jump in at any point along the way. We'll be getting chapter one uh, this week. But uh, as I was completing some study uh, for that Wednesday afternoon, uh, the Lord brought to my mind a sermon that uh, I heard a long time ago and um, have re-listened to uh, throughout the year, and I sent it uh, to YouTube, and I sent it out to uh, our leadership and said, hey, I'd like for you and your families uh, to listen to this as well. And as I uh, sat back in this room over here, I listened to the hour-long sermon uh, once again, and it's by Pastor Jim Simbola. Uh, it's not at his church. It's actually at a gathering of uh, music leaders and people who are involved in various uh, music opportunities. And it's called, My House Shall Be Called a House of Prayer. Uh, My House Shall Be Called a House of Prayer. We'll post that uh, to our church Facebook page. Uh, so if you follow us on Facebook, that'll be available uh, to you. And it's probably one of the most impactful sermons uh, that I can recall in my life um, of, uh, I realize as a pastor saying this, one of the few sermons that I can actually recall a lot of the details of, uh, this is one of those that has been very impactful. And I believe impactful of who we are as a congregation and a fellowship uh, here this morning and what our purpose is. Last week, I shared with you that uh, as we start, as we started out, in uh, March of 2020, one of the things that the Lord uh, deeply settled in our heart is a passage out of Luke 1.17 that speaks of John the Baptist and says that we are to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. As our brother just shared, we believe that the Lord is coming back soon, that God is coming back uh, very soon. And part of our responsibility as a congregation and why God called us into existence is to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And how do we do that? We do that by being a house of prayer. Uh, part of our responsibility as workers in the Lord's harvest field is to intercede and pray. That's why we gather at 9 a.m. on Sundays and we call you to prayer at other times is so that we can intercede and pray. And I hope by God's grace that uh, this comes together in the word of the Lord this morning. I want to read two passages uh, to you, uh, our passage out of Isaiah chapter 12 and verse 4. So if you'll turn there with me in your Bible when you get there, uh, if you would uh, stand with me and uh, just stick your finger there and flip forward to Mark chapter 11, verses 12 through uh, 21. Mark chapter 11, uh, verses 12 through uh, 21. So we'll read Isaiah 12, 4 first, and then flip forward to Mark chapter 11. 
Isaiah chapter 12 and verse 4. It says, and in that day you will say, give thanks to the Lord and call on his name. This is where we're focusing our attention today. Call on his name, where we focused our heart the last two Sundays as well. Uh, next week, by God's grace, we'll focus on the next clause, make known his deeds among the peoples, and then finally, make them remember that his name is exalted. And then flip over to Mark chapter 11, starting at verse 12. Speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, just directly after Palm Sunday, on the triumphal entry, entering into Jerusalem. Verse 12 says, On the next day when they had left Bethany, he became hungry. Seeing at a distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if perhaps he would find anything on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples were listening. Verse 15. Then they came to Jerusalem and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who were buying and selling in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling dogs. And he would not permit anyone to carry merchandise through the temple. And he began to teach and say to them, is it not written? My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a robber's den. The chief priests and the scribes heard this and began seeking how to destroy him, for they were afraid of him, for the whole crowd was astonished at his teaching. When evening came, they would go out of the city. As they were passing by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots up. Being reminded, Peter said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the public reading of Scripture. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to be together this morning to celebrate your goodness, to rejoice, Lord, in your favor, to lift up our voices and song and just celebrate, God, the freedom that we have in you, the forgiveness of our sin, the opportunity that we have to worship you without guilt or condemnation. God, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to give, to sow into your kingdom, Lord. You have blessed us that we can be a blessing. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to come together and to commune with you around the table of grace, to exalt in what you have done and to look forward to that time in your kingdom when we rejoice around the table with you at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And Lord, this morning, we also thank you for the opportunity that we have to be under the preaching of the word. And we ask you, Lord, today that you would help us by your power to hear what the Spirit would speak to us this morning. God, that once again, you would call your people to that place of prayer. Once again, you would remind us that this place is not just a coming and a going for us to say we have checked our religious responsibility. But God, it is a time for us to come, for us to seek you on behalf of the nations. It is a time for us to come and to rejoice in your presence while we cry out to you, while we ask you, Lord, that the gospel would go forth, while we see you in your holiness, O Jesus. And in that moment, we say, here we are, send us. Move, Lord Jesus, 
according to your will and to your plan, we ask you to speak to us through the word this morning. Continue to transform our hearts. Continue to call, cause the things of this earth to grow strangely dim. As we look upon you and your glory, thanking you for your graciousness, your mercy, and your love towards us. In the name of Jesus, I pray this morning. Amen and amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. And you may be seated. This is an interesting passage of Scripture uh, because in it we see Jesus in a way that we do not normally see him in the Gospels. We experience Jesus in a way in which we do not normally experience Jesus as we look through the Gospel account. One, we see what is a miracle of destruction where the Lord speaks to a fig tree and the fig tree is destroyed. Uh, we don't normally see Jesus destroying things, but we see the Lord blessing things, healing things. And here we see a miracle of destruction. We also see Jesus in such a way uh, emotionally that we don't normally see him. We see him angry at what is going on within the temple complex. He's angry at what he sees happening. And so Mark sort of leaves us with a little bit of uh, angst about our relationship with Jesus and such that we see him in a way in which we normally don't perceive the Lord, and particularly in a way in which our culture doesn't want us to perceive the Lord. They want us to perceive Jesus as someone who is weak, who uh, doesn't really stand upon principle, who's willing to just deal with any little sin you have and never call it to mind, never call you out, never speak to you about coming out of the sin that you have. That's the way the world wants us to perceive uh, Jesus, and that's not the way in which our Lord is portrayed. When you encounter Jesus, you will be changed. So why do we pray so much about having a place where we come together in prayer and we seek to have an encounter with the risen Lord? Because that is the only thing that will change you. That is the only thing that will change me when I'm in the Lord's presence having an encounter with him. The old song that I've already mentioned, when the things of earth grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. You want to pray for lost loved ones. Pray that they have an encounter with Jesus. You want to pray for healing. Pray for an encounter with Jesus. You want to pray for the gospel to go forward to all the nations. Pray for an encounter with with the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to pray for an end to emotional distress or to depression or to anxiety. Pray for an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. We must have an encounter with the Lord. When we look at the fig tree, we see that Jesus encountered the fig tree, and Mark gives us details, which Mark is a detailed person. So reading through 
Mark's gospel, look for some of the details that Mark describes. As I believe I may have shared with you in the past, when Mark talks about the feeding of the 5,000, one of the details that Mark gives us that none of the other writers of the gospels give us is that Mark had them set down uh, Mark says Jesus had them set down in a company at the feeding of the 5,000 on the green grass. And the area where they were is only green for just a couple months out of the year. And so it helps us to pinpoint what time they were there. The same thing happens in this case. Mark gives us a detail and he says, Jesus passing by the fig tree saw the fig tree leaved out, that it had its leaves, and he went by to see if he would find something to eat, and finding nothing, he curses the fig tree and says, may no one ever eat from you again. And Mark gives us a detail saying, it was not the season for figs. We see, if we look at the surface of this, an unreasonable Jesus. I've been working in my yard to uh, cut some trees down to make space for a garden area. My grandfather was a farmer in the summer and a logger in the winter. And I can tell you, my grandfather will be sorely disappointed in my logging abilities. <laughs> Thankfully, my family was in the house the other day as I was cutting multiple trees down, and I went to cut one down, and it went smack dab through the kid's playset. <laughs> yeah. Uh-oh. <laughs> but I can't go out to that area that I'm hoping to put a garden in, and when I plant the seed, curse the garden because it hasn't grown the fruit that I expected yet, right? You all would say, Robert, you're crazy to go out when you plant your tomatoes in May or otherwise and expect there to be tomatoes or watermelon or whatever else out in the garden. You're crazy to go out and expect it before it's time. This is exactly the picture that we have of the Lord in this miracle in Mark chapter 11, which is actually the last recorded miracle of Jesus in Mark's gospel. <clears throat> And it is a reference to the barren temple. So we have to look at this issue that Jesus has with the fig tree in light of the next part of the story where Jesus is walking into the temple. Now, as a good Jewish man uh, and the disciples, followers of Jewish tradition and Jewish law, they were responsible during the Passover time to go into Jerusalem during the day. They had to actually eat the Passover meal within the city walls. But the other times during the Passover celebration, which may have been about a week or so, they did not have to actually stay within the city walls. So you can imagine as all the Jewish pilgrims would be coming back into Jerusalem, that Jerusalem itself would be a pretty crowded place. And so during the time in which they were not actually eating the Passover meal, Jesus and his disciples would go in during the day and then exit during the night and spend time together. And that's what's happening here. They're going in during the day. Jesus sees the fig tree. It has beautiful leaves. He goes up to it. He wants to eat something and it has no fruit for him to eat. So he 
curses it, and then they walk in uh, to the temple. He looks around, sees what's going on, is there during the day, and then comes back out. And the next time that they pass by the fig tree, Peter sees it and sees that it has been withered from the roots up. Now, there's speculation about what may have been going on here. During this season of time, in Jewish figs, there should have been, yes, the leaves, and there should have been some budding fruit, that there may not have been the full fruit of the fig tree, but there should have been some type of indication that fruit was coming, a budding fruit, which even in that day, sometimes people would go and pick the initial fruit and eat of it. So some people believe that Jesus went over to the fig tree, saw the leaves, saw it beautiful, looked for some type of indication that fruit was coming on the tree, saw none, and cursed it. And then he walks into the temple. And when Jesus walks into the temple complex, he sees what you and I would naturally expect to happen in the temple during Passover. Because you were required to come in and you were required to make a sacrifice. You were required to bring a spotless sacrifice. So imagine if you and I were traveling to Jerusalem, which may have been many miles away for us, the damage that could happen to an animal in a crate along the way, and then you get all the way into Jerusalem, and your animal is bruised or otherwise unusable for sacrifice, what would you do? So in order to accommodate this, there were people within the temple complex who would sell animals that were acceptable for sacrifice. You also had to buy and sell within the temple or pay the temple tax with the money that was minted within the temple. So to exchange money within the temple complex also was necessary in order to do what was required of a Jewish person to do. You could not pay your temple tax with a Roman coin. You had to pay it with the coin that was minted in the temple. So there was a necessity for money changers to be in the temple complex. But what was happening that made Jesus so angry? What was happening that was making Jesus so angry is exactly what happens to you when you go to a ball game or to a movie theater. It's price gouging. You can't tell me that a bag of popcorn costs $57. You can't tell me that a hot dog at a ballpark is $135. But that's what it seems like. Because you can't bring your own food in. And this is exactly what was going on within the temple. You had to make a sacrifice. You had to pay the tax. But the industry of the temple was price gouging God's people. And what was happening in the industry of the temple is that people with sincere religious affections trying to please the Lord were being taken advantage of. And we see it in that day, but I tell you, brothers and sisters, it is also in our day. 
There are those systems and those organizations which prey on the religious affections of people who feel like they're trying to do something with God, and yet it is give, 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 and it's spent upon people's own desires and own lusts. And Jesus has none of it. We have in our church, in the church system, you'll see liberal churches that will say to you, just come and support. Live like you want. Do what you want. Engage with as many people as you want. That's okay. Praying on people's religious affections. Jesus still loves you. Jesus is okay with you in your sin as long as you help perpetuate the system which we want perpetuated. You see, anyone who doesn't preach the true gospel, and the true gospel is this, the word of God as it has been delivered to us, inspired by the Holy Spirit, God breathed. This is what the word says. This has been God breathed. God spoke. So someone who preaches a different gospel, the Apostle Paul says, is to be accursed. And so we can't say if we were to drive down past the churches that sit across from the university that uh, wave their flags and exalt in things that are ungodly that the Apostle Paul tells us are challenging and difficult and churches that don't preach against sin of uh, whatever type and churches that are okay with that, that's not the true gospel. And so what happens is they collect offerings, just like in the temple complex. They were collecting offerings and taking offerings in order for people to live off the people. And all the time, the people who are sitting in the pew think, I'm doing something for God. And this is why the scriptures tell us that those who are in leadership will give a greater account. Those who are in leadership will give a greater account. Because there are people who come to church out of a devotion to the Lord, and if the pulpit is not preaching the gospel, which we'll talk about next week by God's grace, the pulpit is not preaching the gospel, woe to that person who's preaching. And so you have to be sure that what, it's not just, it's my responsibility to come to you with a word from the Lord, but here's a little tip for you as we go along the way. If the gospel doesn't get preached from this pulpit, I've said this in previous church I pastored. Run me out on a rail. Don't sit under it. If you don't sense the gospel being preached, if you don't sense the message of the cross being held as it is being taught in this word to us, get that person, me, whomever. Because look around and look at the people that could be led astray. And think about the little ones who are facing a world that's much different than the world that I faced at their age. So Jesus goes into the temple complex and he sees what is happening, the religious system that is going on, and he's angry about the people being taken advantage of. This account of Jesus 
uh, clearing out the temple is in all four gospels. And the Bible says in one account that Jesus actually makes a whip and he begins, this isn't just some kind of fit of rage. Jesus just flipping tables and angry. Jesus is focused because he's cleansing the temple to make it what it was intended to be. And when Jesus says, this is what it was intended to be, what he says is it shall be a house of prayer for all the nations. See, this place in the likeness that we are, we're not the temple. You don't have to bring doves. You don't have to pay a Riverstone tax. This is why we have to take it seriously. God has called us as his people to be a house of prayer. Zechariah 2 and 11 says, And many nations shall join themselves to the Lord in that day, and shall be my people, and I will dwell in your midst, and you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. Mark 13 and 10 says, This gospel shall go to all nations before the end of the age. You see, what I think is happening and what ought to be happening within our church is that you and I ought to have a heart that the gospel would go forward, yes, into Charlottesville and yes, beyond, but the gospel should go forth to all the nations. A house of prayer for all nations. Romans 14 and 11 says, every knee, all nations shall bow. Our text out of Isaiah 12 and 4, make known his deeds among the peoples. That word peoples there is rightly rendered nations. Make known his deeds among the nations. And prayer is the means in which God has invited us to participate in his divine plan that Jesus Christ would be exalted and worshipped among the nations. You and I are invited to participate through the power of the Spirit in the gospel going forward to all nations. Now that may not mean that you have to step on an airplane. It may not even mean that you have to give to go send a missionary. But what it does mean for each and every one of us is that in this house that is called to be a house of prayer, we must intercede that the gospel goes forward to all nations. You see, when we read about the Lord in the end time glory, what we see is that there is prayer before the Lord in Revelation chapter 5, verses 6 through 10. The bowls of incense that are ever before the Lord, which are the prayers of the saints. The prayers going forward, and what I believe many of those prayers are for. It's good for us to pray for ourselves. It's good for us to pray for our healing. It's good for us uh, to pray for our families. It's good for us to pray for deliverance. It's good for us to pray for all those things that it impacts our life. But those things should not overshadow the necessity for you and I to pray that the gospel would go forward unto all people in all nations. And much that I believe is in those bowls of incense and why it is a sweet aroma unto the Lord is that the Lord is breathing in the prayers of his people that Jesus would be magnified and exalted among the whole world, that the whole world would come to know that he is king, that he is righteous, that he forgives sin, that in him there is now no guilt or condemnation. It's the prayers of God's people in the small little country church that says Jesus save him. 
in this country. It's the prayers of the people in the large mega church that says, God, send us, send us, send us. It's the prayer of you and I by our bedside that the Spirit moves upon us with groanings that we don't even quite understand that says, God, send someone to preach to the nations. We see in Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 11, that there is an innumerable multitude from every nation, tribe, and tongue. What is beautiful about this picture, and what I think is wonderful for you and I, is that the beauty that God has created you in right now, look at yourself in the mirror, is the beauty that God desires to see you in heaven with worshiping him. Every nation, every tribe, every tongue. Look around the room and see the beauty of diversity in this congregation. Look around the room and see the people from different places, lineages from different places that the Lord is going to call to worship him. Your color, your culture, those things will be present somehow in heaven. I don't fully understand all that, but what I picture in my mind is something beautiful and wonderful that is surrounding the throne where there is an innumerable host worshiping God in all of the languages, exalting him in his glory that people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation are exalting Jesus together. We cannot consider the gospel going to all the nations unless we hear our house of prayer. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 9 and 38. He says, the laborers are few. The laborers are few. If we have been redeemed, our sins have been forgiven. If we have received and been cleansed from that heavenly fountain that flows with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. If our guilt and iniquity has been purged, why does Jesus say the laborers are few? He goes on to say, pray for laborers to go in the harvest. The laborers are few. Pray for laborers to go in the harvest. This is part of our responsibility as a house of prayer, that we will pray for laborers to go in the harvest. As we go through February and we celebrate Black History Month, we're identifying a few missionaries, uh, African-American missionaries, that uh, have a story that we're able to tell on our Facebook page. This week was Locke Carey. Uh, Locke Carey was a missionary to Liberia. And there's a quote from Locke Carey. And as he's heading out, he's essentially saying, I may never see you again this side of heaven, but know that I'm focused on the work of the Lord. Because in the early days of the missionary movement, what often happened is someone would step on a boat or begin to travel full well realizing that the family, the friends, the support network, everything that they left behind, this probably would be the last time that they would ever be seen. 
this side of heaven. Willing to make deep and lasting sacrifices in order to carry the gospel to those who have not heard. Last week we prayed and we asked God and we interceded at the altar. Sister Joyce is going to share a testimony next week about an encounter she had with someone that was God's grace and healing. And I'm very excited for her to be able to share that. We're praying for God to heal. We're praying for God to move. We're praying for God to touch people's lives, to preserve their lives. And what I often hear at times, particularly from those who travel all around the world, is that the mission field, the front lines of the gospel, is hot with miracles. God doing mighty things, God transforming lives, people being healed, people being set free, people being delivered, God's power on display on the frontier. We see it in the New Testament. When the gospel was first going forward, and it was among the Jews and then out into uh, Judea and other places, as it moved beyond, as far as the gospel was going, miracles, signs, wonders, following those who are believing, new converts, new people, miracles, signs, wonders happening all over the place. Miracles, as the gospel is being preached, new people are being, uh, being, be, hearing the gospel and believing the gospel, and uh, the, the, the mighty hand of God, people are believing, people are being raised up, blind eyes being opened, dead walking, read Hebrews, hear some of the stories, read the book of Acts, see some of the stories of what's going as the gospel is moving forward. And we continue to see that today on the mission field, that God is doing mighty things. And those of us who are back here in America, we say, God, we want to see it here. God, help us to see it here. God, we want to see people that are transformed. We want to see people delivered. We want to see people miraculously healed. God, send it here. Send it here. And I think what's happening happened at times is that we've become very comfortable on the pew. And frankly, I will say the other thing is that pastors like it kind of even keel. Because when things get a little out of control, then a pastor has to deal with it. And it's really nice when I don't have to deal with stuff. <laughs> so if you guys just stay calm if our sister Dolores would do her dance in the back and not grab anybody else, if Brother Mike would keep his Jericho march somewhere else, okay, just be calm. I don't have to deal with much. I can go to a coffee shop and study God's word, be in my own little place with Jesus with no phone calls or texts that I have to deal with anything and come on Sunday and deliver it to you, and that's a pretty easy job. But when we see the Apostle Paul, and we see Peter, and we see the others who are moving forward in the power of the gospel, what we see is that they were persecuted for what was going on, and while they were persecuted, God was miraculously doing signs and wonders everywhere. They bore in their body the reproach of what was happening, but they just kept on going because they were glorifying God and what was happening. They were exalting in the Lord Jesus Christ and what was going on in their midst, even though they themselves were being persecuted. When we pray for a move of God, we're not just praying for the old-time Pentecostal dancing and shouting, which I'm very happy to happen. <clears throat> but 
when we're praying for a move of God, we're praying for God to truly transform people's lives. And so we think about the prayers and the gospel going forward, people being sent forth, the edge of the gospel moving forward throughout the world, signs and wonders happening on the frontier, and our prayer comes, God, do it here. And I think, again, what has happened is we have become complacent in our perception of church and what church is and ought to be. And so we're okay with the way that things are. We're okay with the ship not being ruffled a little bit or tossed and turned. It's smooth sailing. But I think what is happening by the grace of God's Spirit in our day is that there are waters that are flowing that are saying there's going to be some shaking up to come because I think that Jesus is coming in the Western church and Jesus has been for a while making a whip. Jesus has been for a while seeing the money changers at their table. Jesus has for a while been seeing those who were selling things within the temple and doing it in an unjust way. And Jesus is coming to clean house. I believe that Jesus is coming to clean house house. And so what we have seen over the last 50, 60 years, even in our own culture, is a move away from the true gospel. And we can say that is horrible. We can't believe it happened. How did people stand by and allow it to happen? And this is the piece of hope that I believe we have in our day. Many would say that the, particularly the American culture, or we could probably say the entire Western culture is post-Christian. That we have received the gospel, lived the gospel, now we're past the gospel. Which actually puts the generation that is coming up in the West back to the beginning. of a pre-Christian culture, people who don't know the Lord, people who don't know the stories of the gospel, people who don't quote John 3.16, like we can quote John 3.16, people who haven't heard, who haven't been trained, whose parents don't know, whose parents haven't taught. And so now as we see on the mission field that there are a lot of frontiers, I think that we're entering a period where the West is a new frontier. The West is a new frontier for the gospel. The West is a new place where the gospel can be preached and people are going to hear it for the first time. And I think what we see and what we are experiencing, and when I talk with pastors, they would say the same thing. God is stirring up some things that is transforming some things in this culture now. We've seen it overseas, and now we're going to see it here. So what is our responsibility as a church that believes the truth, that continues to stand upon the word of God? We must pray. We must be the house of prayer that prays that God sends forth laborers into his harvest, whether it's here, whether it's abroad, wherever God would send. I'll close with this, and then I want us to have a specific time of prayer. I've shared this more than once with most of you who are part of Riverstone for a season. One of the most freeing things that my father-in-law did when I went to ask his hand 
ask his, for his daughter's hand in marriage, one of the most freeing things that he did for me in that moment was to say to me, I love her very much. But if you all go as missionaries to Africa or some other place and I never see her again, I will be okay with that as long as I know you're serving the Lord. If we're a house of prayer, and part of being a house of prayer is praying for God to send laborers into his harvest, there are some here this morning who we may say goodbye to and never see again this side of heaven. And I'll bring it even a little closer to home. It may be your children and your grandchildren. And that's where the rubber meets the road when we pray, are we willing to make that sacrifice? Am I willing as a dad Claire, join me. (laughs) She's very attentive during Daddy's sermon. Am I okay with God placing a calling on this little girl's life who I love very much, who's my baby cakes, Am I willing for God to put a calling on this young lady's life and her board a plane and give it all for Jesus, knowing that I might not be able to lay eyes on her again, depending on where she goes and where he takes her? Jesus says we've got to be willing to sacrifice to be worthy. And so you got little ones, you got grandkids this morning? You have great-grandkids? Are you willing to see them spent for the sake of the gospel? See, the rubber meets the road in this moment. Oh, I would love for this young lady to get a good degree, to make a million bucks a year, to take care of her dad and mom. Oh, I've got dreams. There's a reason I have seven kids. I don't have to buy nursing home insurance. (laughs) I've heard people say, I don't want to be a burden on my kids. I don't care. (laughs) My dreams have got to go all by the wayside. My hopes, my desires. I know God has to direct this young lady's path. God has to direct these other children's path. God has to direct your children's path. And it's hard for a parent to let a child go. 
But as a church, we've got to pray for that to happen. We have to pray that in this congregation, this house of prayer, that God is going to raise up pastors, evangelists, missionaries, others to go and tell.